again, we appreciate very much your being here this evening. And again, we want to especially welcome those of you who are visiting with us and invite you to come back and be with us every opportunity that you have. The church is the most ex important and most expensive institution in the world. If you watched uh, uh, the TV program this morning, The Truth and Love, uh, Robert uh, Dodson did a wonderful job talking about the church. And Doug had an excellent job this morning. Man's lack of understanding, lack of appreciation for the church must be extremely disappointing to God. Many people today don't see the need for the church. Those who do usually feel like one church is just as good as another. And the world's attitude toward the church is influencing some of our brethren. You do not understand just exactly how important the church really is. It's very sad, but true, that some of our own congregations today just think of themselves as another denomination. And if you doubt the reality of the indifference of our members toward the church, just compare the average attendance on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I know there are a lot of people who cannot come on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, but there are many who choose just not to come. There's a widely accepted idea that Jesus came to this earth to establish an earthly kingdom. And since he failed in that mission, he decided to change his plans and to establish the church instead. There is no truth to that at all. When Jesus came to this earth, he did exactly what he planned to do. He did exactly what was in God's mind before the, church, the universe was ever created. <coughs> Prophets foretold the coming of the church. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. When sin first entered the world, God announced his plan to defeat Satan. God told the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Most Christians recognize this as the first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. In Joe Miller's video series, he says centuries later, Jesus, the seed of woman, Galatians 4, 4, was crucified for our sins. In this way, the devil bruised Jesus' heel, that is, gave him a minor injury. But in rising from the dead, Jesus bruised the serpent's head, that is, gave him a crushing blow from which he could never recover. And so Jesus, who is the seed of woman, would destroy the power of the evil one the devil. The writer of Hebrews wrote of that crushing blow struck by Jesus centuries later in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. He said, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Fulfilling the promises of Genesis 3 and verse 15, involved a particular line 
of descent. God chose the man that we know as Abraham, as the one through whom the promised seed should come. In Genesis chapter 12, in verse 3, the Lord told Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God was promising Abraham that through his descendants, one would come who would bless all of the world. Did Abraham understand that promise at that time? No, he did not. Did the Israelites understand that promise at that time? No, they didn't. Were the Jews or the Israelites concerned about any nations other than their own? No, they were not. But did that change God's promise? No, it didn't. God did not say all the families of the Jews shall be blessed. That's the way they understood it. But that is not what God said. God said all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We understand that God meant exactly what he said. And that his plan from the very beginning was not only to save Jews, but all other nationalities as well. But the only thing that could fulfill that promise was the coming of God's own Son, the Messiah, who was make it possible to save all people from their sins. God had promised that the seed of woman would accomplish this. Genesis 3 and verse 15. And in Genesis 12 and verse 3, he shows that it would be accomplished through Abraham's own family. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 3 and verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. That great spiritual promise reflects the eternal purpose of God to save not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 17 and verse 5, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. And in Genesis 22 and verse 18, God renews his promise to Abraham. He says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And I want you to remember that last phrase. Because you have obeyed my voice. And we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But what command of God did Abraham demonstrate that he was willing to obey? Well, look up at verse 2 of Genesis 22. There God told Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine after waiting so long to have a son, growing to love that son so deeply that now God says, I want you to go and offer him as a sacrifice? 
but because Abraham was willing to obey him, God blessed him, Genesis 22 and verse 18. Abraham was given an ultimate test to offer his own son as a sacrifice to God. But that stands as an example for all believers of all time who want to follow and obey God. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. We read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in effective sense. Well, that brings us to another prophecy. Turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. <coughs> Excuse me. Here we find God talking to Abraham's son Isaac. And notice God's promise in Genesis 26 and verse 4. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now we're going to notice verse 5 in just a moment. That Isaac would die before this promise was fulfilled. But God is telling him that his descendants would be the conduit through which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The Messiah was not going to come through just any descendant of Abraham. But he would come specifically through Isaac. God had promised Abraham back in Genesis 21 and verse 12. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Paul also spoke of this in Romans 7 or 9 verses 6 and 7. He says, For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Now then, what was that phrase that I wanted you to remember? Because you have obeyed my voice. It is interesting to note in Genesis 26 why God told Isaac that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Look at verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now this probably reminded Isaac of that day that Abraham was going to offer him as a sacrifice at Mount Moriah until an angel stopped him and then blessed him for his obedience. The blessing given to Abraham that day concluded with the phrase, because you have obeyed my voice. I've often wondered how I would feel if I were Isaac. How would you feel if you went with your father to, to worship God and all of a sudden he's going to make you the offering and he's about to take your life? How would you feel about that? No doubt Isaac heard the angel who repeated the promise to Abraham. 
and your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Wouldn't it be reassuring to know, yes, dad was commanded by God to do this. That's the only reason my dad would have done that to me. Well, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Here we find God speaking to Jacob as he dreamed about a ladder. Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14. We read, And behold, the Lord stood above it, that is, above the ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. And also your, des your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the east and the, the west, and the east to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the same promise given to Abraham and to Isaac is now given to Jacob. Now up to this point in Jacob's life, his efforts were geared toward acquiring and receiving blessings, even by practicing deception. Deceiving his father into giving him the blessing, the birthright, instead of his brother. In spite of his unloving and deceitful behavior toward his father and his brother. He is the one through whom the Messiah would come. And so God shifts the emphasis from the blessings that Jacob would receive to the blessing that he must give to the world. Now then turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. One of Isaac's descendants was David, the son of Jesse. Matthew 1 verses 1 through 6 and Luke 3, 31 through 34. God sent the prophet Nathan to tell David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now this promise, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, is expressly applied to Christ in Hebrews 1 and verse 5. And so this prophecy found in 2 Samuel chapter 7 finds fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of David, according to the flesh, Romans 1 and verse 3. Notice 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne will, shall be established forever. It's not going to be a throne that would last for a thousand years. It's something that would last forever. And when the time drew near, in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, 
and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus was a descendant of David. Jesus was also a descendant of a man named Jeconiah. That is amazing today how many people believe that the Lord is going to come back someday and come to this earth, go to Jerusalem, set up a, a throne, and he's going to reign for a thousand years. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you have heard someone say that. But the next time someone says that to you, I want to encourage you to ask them a question. A very simple question. How would you feel if you saw in the Bible where God said that could not happen? Think you'd get their attention? They start talking about, oh, he's going to come back and establish... He's going to set up a throne. He's going to reign over a kingdom for a thousand years. How would you feel if you saw in the Bible that God said that cannot happen? I want you to write down some scriptures. Jeconiah is called Coniah in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. Jeconiah happened to be the last descendant of David's who sat on the literal throne of David. Notice what God says. I'm not going to read all three verses, but in Jeremiah chapter 22 and, and verse 30. Thus says the Lord, write this down as this man down as childless. God says, write it down. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. God says, you write this down. There won't be any more of his descendants sitting on the throne reigning in Judah. God says, write it down. It's not going to happen. Other scriptures to write down. Matthew 1, 12 through 16. Matthew 1, 12 through 16. And Luke 3, 23 through 27. And also 1 Chronicles 3, 16 and 17. These three scriptures show us that Jesus was a descendant of Jeconiah. Jesus could not sit on a literal throne on this earth. God said it will not happen. God said write it down. It's not going to happen. Jeconiah is never going to have a descendant sitting on a throne on this earth. You remember what Jesus said in John 18 and verse 36? My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus knew he couldn't set up a kingdom here on this earth, an earthly kingdom. 
He knew he could not sit on the throne in Judah because God said it's not going to happen. God said, write it down. Don't forget it. It's not going to happen. But Jesus did and does sit on a spiritual throne of his kingdom. In Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 32, Peter says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That's from Psalm 16 and verse 10. In verse 32 of Acts 2, it says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne. God told one of David's descendants, Jeconiah, that he would not have a, a son who would sit on the throne. It would never happen. David predicted that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Why? Because it was God's plan from the very beginning. God revealed to David that his son would be raised from the dead to sit on his throne. In Acts 13 and verse 23, Paul said that from David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Specifically who it was. Now then turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. This was about 750 years before the church was established. And Isaiah prophesied that it would come in the last days and that it would begin at Jerusalem. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the tops of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Just as Isaiah predicted, 750 years before the church was established in the last days, Acts 2 and verse 17, it is called the house of God, 1 Timothy 3, in verse 15. People from all nations would be welcomed into God's house. And the law of the Lord went forth from Jerusalem. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 gives the same prophecy. But I'm going to stay with Isaiah. In chapter 7 and verse 14, Isaiah writes, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew 1, an angel explained to Joseph 
that Mary's baby was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Imagine what he thought. Here the girl he was going to marry is pregnant. She's going to have a baby. What would any person think? And so the Holy Spirit reveals to him that the child was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, All of this was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Fulfillment of the prophecy given by God through Isaiah. Isaiah continues his prophecy in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. He writes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah goes on in chapter 11 of Isaiah in verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Of course, David came from Jesse. It's talking about Jesus. Isaiah 11 and verse 10, he continues again. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him. His resting place shall be glorious. He was not going to be a king just for the Jews, for the Gentiles as well. Paul writes in Romans 15 and verse 12, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now then turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, Joel foretells the coming of the Messiah in a very vivid way. Here in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. Notice what he said in verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he begins quoting from Joel, beginning in verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Time does not allow us to go into further prophecies found in the Old Testament. Peter is saying this is fulfilling what Joel said was going to happen. The church was not an afterthought. 
It's part of God's eternal plan. Look with me beginning in verse 22 in Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered, get this, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Jesus did not fail in his mission. God was not surprised when they crucified him. It was part of God's knowledge and purpose. We've already noted in Acts 2 and verse 31 that Peter said how David spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. He could prophesy that because it was God's plan. That's what God intended to happen. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 21, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I wish we had time to go into more readings, but if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, I want to notice just a few things. From verses 3 through 14, Ephesians 1, I hope you'll, you'll go home and read this yourself. In this passage, we see that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. And that this was God's plan before the foundation of the world, verses 3 through 6. All spiritual blessings are in Christ, and this was God's plan. We see that redemption came through the blood of Christ, verse 7. That's what God was concerned about. That's what Jesus was concerned about. Not setting up an earthly kingdom, but man receiving forgiveness from his sins. And we see that Jesus sums up God's purpose and is the channel through which we receive God's blessings. Verses 7 through 12. And we see that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the earnest of our inheritance. The prophecies we've looked at tonight prove that this gospel, this good news, is to be preached throughout the whole world in the last days, beginning at Jerusalem. That started in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The church was not an afterthought of God. It was God's purpose before the foundation of the world. If you'll flip the page in your Bible, if you're in, in Ephesians 1, look at chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Paul writes to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in, Christ, in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished. 
in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. The church was according to the plan and purpose of God. It was kept a secret or a mystery for a long, long time throughout the Old Testament. Paul said he was less than the least of all the saints, but God called him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable rich riches of Christ. The wisdom of God, how he could save not only Jews but Gentiles as well, was to be revealed by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And all of this was according to God's purpose, his eternal purpose, which was accomplished in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not fail in his mission. He accomplished God's purpose. What an amazing accomplishment that both Jews and Gentiles who were so far separated from each other could be united together in the body of Christ. The church was not, not an afterthought of God because Jesus failed to establish an earthly kingdom. That never was God's plan. In fact, God said, <coughs> excuse me, God said it would never happen. Jeremiah 22 and verse 30. The church was the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose, planned before the foundation of the world and accomplished in Christ. Jesus came as the Lamb of God, John chapter 1 and verse 29. John the Baptist recognized him as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus died for the sins of all mankind, John 3. In verse 16, he purchased the church with his own blood, Acts 20, in verse 28. In Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The gospel began to be preached in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, exactly as it was predicted, just as the prophets had said it would. When the people learned that the man they had crucified was the Son of God, they cried out to the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And verse 47 of that chapter says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Folks, there is nothing more important than the church. Every day, those who believe and obey God by being baptized into Christ, having turned away from their sins and confessed their faith, confessing their faith, when they did what God said to do, God added them to his church. It cost him the blood of his son. 
It cost Jesus his own son. That's how much the Lord and God loved the church. It was his plan from the very beginning of time. The question is, are you part of that church? If you obey the gospel, God will add you to his church. If you've not obeyed the gospel, you're not part of that church. The most important, the most expensive institution in the world. Christ died on the cross to give you an opportunity to be a part of that church. Because he wants you to be in the church. Because he wants you to go to heaven. At the end of time, the Lord is going to deliver his church, the kingdom, to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24. Jesus is on the throne of those who submit to him. Many claim to be in submission. But Jesus asked in Luke 6 and verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? The church is a spiritual institution. The only ones in it are those who has, have submitted to Christ, who let him be the ruler of their lives. He is their Lord, and they are in the kingdom. They are in the church. On the last day, the church is going to be delivered up to God. We'll be with him forever. Tonight, if you're not part of that church, we're asking you to follow Jesus. He was submissive to God in all things. Won't you come to him now while we stand and as we sing?